Welcome to Wabash Center's I'm Just Saying. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, director of the Wabash Center. I'm Just Saying is a series of audio readings taken from my blog posts. This podcast reading is entitled Bat Report. Throughout the spring and summer from my porch and in the front of my rocking chair, I had noticed bats feeding on insects under the street light. Then on Sunday night, a bat came into my house. Sitting up in bed, reading on my iPad, I was enjoying an uneventful evening. Silently, a bat flew into my bedroom. I felt it enter before I saw it. I looked up from the iPad screen in time to see long flapping wings fly through into the adjoining room and out of sight. Startled and immediately panicked, my shrieks calling on Jesus, 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 was what broke the silence. My fever pitch, full-throated summons of Jesus continued as I jumped from the bed, ran to the door the bat had flown through and slammed it shut. Still shrieking, I realized there were two other doors in my bedroom, which to keep the bat from circling through again must be closed. I ran from door to door, slamming each one and commanding Jesus to save me. By daybreak, I had barely slept. My heart was still racing. I could not get myself out of panic. I got dressed and waited for 7 a.m. when campus services opened. Promptly at 7 a.m., I emailed campus services. It was a distress email which read, please come now, bat in house, hurry. At 7, 10 a.m., my doorbell rang. I ran downstairs fully expecting to be devoured by the silenced, shattered bat. The campus facilities colleague donning a face mask and holding a fishnet in his hand entered my house. The bat wrangler looked at me and asked, are you okay? Meeting his gaze, I answered in a tone of defeat, no. I showed John upstairs to the scene of the incident. As we walked, he talked with me about the habits of bats. As he talked, I decided his net was not big enough to capture my intruder. John said from my description, the bat in my house was a brown big, a protected bat in the state of Indiana. They eat insects and only attack when threatened. John's information did not comfort me. After the inspection, he did not locate the hiding bat. John lingered in the kitchen chatting with me and waiting to see if the bat might move around again. Before leaving, he gave me his cell phone number so I could dial direct. For the rest of the day, I was skittish. I heard noises that were not there and saw bats in previously familiar shadows. I creeped around my own house and dreaded nightfall. I considered going to a hotel, but talked myself out of it. The next day, campus facilities personnel returned with a professional bat mediator. The inspection began in the bedroom and carefully scoured the first and second floors. Then both men went into the attic. They found evidence of bat activity in my attic, but no roosting. They said that was good news. I was unconvinced. They scheduled a time to return to repair possible places where bats might be entering the house and to clean up the evidence of the bat activity. As you suspect by now, the purpose of this bat report is not necessarily about the bat. 
I am mostly reflecting upon my reaction to the bat invasion. Before the bat flew into my bedroom, I would have told you that I would not have panicked. I would have said that I would have likely not even been startled, but I would have thought that shrieking and running would have been foolish. I would have thought I would have looked like a cheap horror movie film and avoided this behavior. I have lived in the city on dairy farms and in the suburbs. I'm accustomed to critters inside and out. What then had happened? Why was I so raw? Why was I so scared? What had made me so emotionally fragile? A bat in my house had sent me over the edge. A few days before the bat invasion, the news broke that Chadwick Boseman had died. When I heard the news, I sat on my couch and wept as if a beloved family member had passed away. What is happening? Why am I so emotionally spent? As a clergy person, I know to be a non-anxious presence, especially in times of crisis, loss, and trouble. I have experienced sitting with families in emergency rooms, courthouses, and funeral homes to console and reassure. Even with my years of experience, nothing has prepared me for months of quarantine, months of reorganizing our staff's programming, months of loss, uncertainty, grief, and anticipated terror with no end in sight. My bat report is that I know firsthand the cumulative stressors of 2020 and 2021 can take a toll on the body. It can take a toll on the mind and the spirit. My sheer panic is evidence of the personal toll. We are exhausted. We have protest fatigue. If we do not ask if another black person will be publicly killed by the police, we ask when will another black person be publicly executed by the police. Adding to the worry, the public protest organized by the Black Lives Matter movement became more violent as unwelcome agitators incite incidences of vandalism and cause significant harm. The presidential electoral season strains of acute disagreement, mudslinging and deep-seated ire. We dread election day regardless of its outcome for its promise of increased violence and national confusion. The death toll of COVID-19 signals the number of families grieving. We are nearing 200,000 grieving families in the United States and a million more grieving families around the world. Schools are trying to figure out how to keep students, faculties and administrators safe by taking calculated health risks for which they have little medical guidance. The surreal decision-making Processes feel like roulette wheels and crap games in Las Vegas. We all know people who have been furloughed or unemployed and continue to be underinsured. Parents of our homeschooling, working from home and trying to keep life together all at the same time. Persons who live alone are in seclusion and loneliness. The exhaustion is palpable. For those of us who pay attention as the malaise of disease, 
flagrant white supremacy and uncouth violence rages on in daily life, the price is exacted from our bodies, minds, and spirits. How will our extorted souls find relief? When the bat flew into my bedroom, I freaked. Unbeknownst to me, I had reached my own psychic limit. I could not take one more thing and the bat was one more thing. When I no longer felt safe in my own house, I became terrified. The year 2020 has us all living on the verge of some kind of madness. I applaud colleagues who routinely work with mental health needs. I suspect that mental health experts know what I learned again and some more over the last couple days. The foil of stress, anxiety, loss, fear, and terror is kindness. When I freaked out about the bat in my house, my colleagues, friends, and families were steadfast and caring. The facilities colleagues who immediately came to my house were kind to me. No one told me that my fears were unfounded and that I should not have reached out for help. The bat remediation man was considerate as I reenacted the bat flying into my bedroom, genuinely trying to convey my terror, but undoubtedly looking ridiculous. No one laughed at me or my fear. When I told my family and friends about my panic and chided myself for overreacting, no one followed that line of conversation. Their kindness to me was to tell me that I get to respond to a bat in my house any way I need to respond. A beloved neighbor said that if it happens again, to please text him no matter what day, time of day or night. His concern for me made me tear up. In 2020, gestures of kindness are not to be taken for granted. African-American women are accustomed to being treated as invisible. Our distresses are typically ignored or belittled or erased. Or we are told we are strong and can handle everything, anything, even our own terror. We are, by the metrics and actions of white supremacy and patriarchy, invisible and simultaneously superhuman. Both are narratives meant to dehumanize and wreak violence. Even so, here is my bat report. In a world where Black bodies do not matter and the distresses of Black women are oftentimes ignored, when my colleagues and friends rallied to help me, I was healed. I was helped at least a little bit. Their attentive responses and care were life-giving and life-affirming. In my fear, kindness made all the difference. As we wade into our classrooms and into the semester, let us take the power of kindness with us. Let us engage our students with care and genuine concern as best we can. Remember, they might have recently had their own version of a bat in their homes. Our classrooms are not separate from or immune from the loss, grief, and panic which permeates our daily lives. Attempts at compartmentalization works against kindness, care, and a holistic understanding of why we come together to learn. During the multi-pandemics of 2020, we cannot pretend that classroom sessions, even online, are outside of this current unrehearsed reality. If in our own panic, we cannot model calm for our students, let us not pretend. Know that the pretense and the charade of normalcy 
will not form, but will deform students. If when you realize your strength and determination has wavered, do not be afraid to ask for care, help, and kindness. For easy access, several bat nests have been strategically placed around my house. I think I have gathered myself enough so that the next time I will not freak out. But if I do, I will not harshly judge myself as inadequate or lacking. I will call Jesus, neighbors and colleagues for help, and I will need their kindness. Thank you so much for listening to this blog recording. This blog in written format, as well as all our archive blogs, podcasts, and the Journal on Teaching can be found on our website, as well information on upcoming workshops, colloquies, seminars, and our regranting program can be found on the Wabash Center website. Thanks to Paul Myrie, Senior Associate Director and the sound engineer for this episode. The music which frames I'm just saying is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Thanks to Carly Hollinsby, Communications and Digital Media Director of the Wabash Center, producer of this episode. The Lilly Endowment Incorporated is the exclusive funder of the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield. I'm just saying. And we're out. How was that, Paul? <laughs>